This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Most of you know by now we're in a series that's entitled Serving Together. And as I have already mentioned, to me this is more than a sermon series. This is like a sermon campaign, but it even goes deeper than that. It's a sermon series that's a campaign incorporated with a burden and a passion of the heart. And I believe that makes the world of difference as it goes forth. And we're going to be preaching six or seven sermons on this subject, serving together. This particular series is probably as real as it gets from the pulpit to the pew about our church, and I'm not incorporating this into the entire body of Christ, the ecclesia as we know it, but we're talking about this particular local New Testament church. And the burden that God has placed upon my heart at this particular point in time in my life, and I believe also for the life of our church, Buford Road Baptist. And so it's with great passion and heaviness and zeal and burden and concern that I bring this series to you. And I do pray that as the word goes forth that it will fall on some good ground. And I know that there are places that where the word falls that You've heard the old expression before, it goes in one ear and out the other, and some calls that stony ground in the word. But I pray that some of this will fall on good ground and that it would not only be, yeah, preacher, that's right, but it will be a wake-up call for us as a body to become more involved with the work here at Buford Road. And so these sermons, they are... Moving more pointed as we travel and navigate through them. And I believe that's by divine design. And so if you will this morning, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. And uh, our wonderful folks in our media center will be glad to get these scriptures before you. And today's message is entitled, It's Amazing What Can Be Accomplished Serving Together. What can be accomplished at Buford Road Baptist Church when we all understand the magnitude of the task and not just with mental comprehension, but with the passion of heart, where we put hands with our heart, where we all become involved. And I believe in the day and time in which we live, that's an absolute necessity for such a time as this. And so I'm going to ask you to follow along with me as we read. We've got many scriptures to travel through today. Those of you that are watching at home by internet, I pray that you'll take your Bible, your bulletin. You'll stay with us, stay close with it. Because I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would move in your living room, your family room. Maybe you're watching in a hospital room. I don't care where it is. I'm praying that the Spirit of God not only operates 
up and down these pews, but also where you are. You are a vital part of the fabric of our ministry as well. And so today I pray that we would all listen attentively and let God the Holy Spirit move in a way to where when all of this is said and done at the conclusion of this series, that truly we have given the preeminence to God. So let me begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 1 and beginning in verse number 1 as we talk about the subject today in this series, Serving Together. It's amazing what can be accomplished together. And the scripture says this in verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu. And by the way, that's the month of December. You might want to make a notation of that in your Bible, the month of December. In the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Haniah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to thy prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in thy sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. These are some heart-wrenching words from Nehemiah. We're going to talk about it today. The story before us this morning, as you look in the scriptures, is probably one of the greatest illustrations in all of the Bible of what can happen when God's people begin to work together. And that's what we're talking about in this series, serving together. I want to give you a little background just for a moment. Jerusalem had been destroyed by great conflict and, I would add, by personal neglect. Jerusalem at this particular point was laying in ruins, and it had been in ruins for about 70 years. And while the Jews were being held in captivity... God impressed upon the heart of Nehemiah to request permission of the king to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the protective wall that was around the city. Now keep in mind some very important things today. Nehemiah was a servant of the king. He was also in captivity, but he was a servant of the king. He was also the cup bearer of the king. I want to read this verse for you in verse 11. 
O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. And so the burden was so heavy upon the heart of Nehemiah that he could not contain it. He could not refrain from allowing it to run in his emotions. He was overwhelmed with the burden. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, the scripture says, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, and that's the time on the Jewish calendar between March and April. In the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, the wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Nehemiah always had a cheerful heart. He, he was always of a great, wonderful, pleasing countenance. You could walk into the room, no matter the circumstance that he was in, and he would always have a smile on his face. He was always uplifting. He was always encouraging. But now something had dramatically changed this particular season in his life. And Nehemiah stood before the king and he had a very sad countenance. And the king asked him, he said, Nehemiah, what's the problem? I've never seen you like this before. What's going on? Why do you have such a sad countenance? And in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2, wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick. This is nothing else but sorrow of the heart. And I want you to tell me, this is what the king said. I want you to tell me what's going on. It's apparent you're not sick. Something has happened. This is not you. What's going on right now in your life? Then I was very sore afraid. And so Nehemiah, he goes on to explain the circumstance, as you see in verses 3 through 5. And he said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth in waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulcher, that I may build it. The king had said, Nehemiah, what's the problem? And Nehemiah had received word that Jerusalem was in rubble. The gates were down. The city was still burning with embers. And the king said, what can I do? How can I help in this circumstance. Nehemiah knew this and the reality of the situation it gave him so much sadness when he was thinking about the beautiful city of God, the homeland of his fathers, where his kinfolks were buried and it was just lying in rubble. God had placed upon his heart to do something about that, where he wasn't just thinking about what could be and reminiscing about the way that it was, God began to burn passionately in his heart to actually do something about it. 
And those emotions were being transferred in this conversation. And the king said, what can I do to help? Now, this was the reality. The thing that Nehemiah knew, what God wanted him to do, he knew that it was impossible. It was a job that he could not take on by himself. He could not do this alone. He knew that the thing that needed to be done it was going to take the help of so many other people. And let me say that one of the most valuable lessons that we all as a church, Buford Road Baptist Church, can learn from this Bible story is that the ministry of Buford Road Baptist Church, and I've said it before, let me say it again in this series, the ministries of Buford Road Baptist Church is not a one-man show. Nehemiah looked at the, at the work and he looked at the burden and he, and he realized, yes, there's so much to do, but I cannot do it by myself. He knew this. And so let me emphasize something. As we go through this story today, I want us to make it a personable application because in order for us here at Buford Road, to do the work effectively right here that God wants us to do as this local New Testament church, it's going to take all of us, which means that some of us have got to get out of a comfort zone. Some of us have got to step up. It's going to take all of us serving together. Now, let me share with you some spiritual lessons that I've learned over the years. And I know in some places of this message today, it is going to seem to be so candid and so personable and so direct. Certainly, I don't give it and speak it to be offensive, but it's the truth. And that's why I said a few minutes ago that it's as real as it gets. One of the great lessons that I've learned over the years in ministry is this, and some may not understand this, but I personally, let me emphasize this, as your pastor, I personally do not have all of the spiritual gifts that are needed to do all of the work of the Lord in this church by myself. Can, can somebody say amen? amen? And secondly, not only do I not have all of the spiritual gifts that are needed to do all of the work that's in this church, but secondly, I don't have the time to do it. Can I have a witness? I, I don't have the time to do it all by myself. And so the answer is simple. As Nehemiah looked at the work, the job that needed to be done, and places in Jerusalem that was lying in rubble, God had put a burden of passion upon his heart to do something about it. And I can speak likewise. I see so many nooks and crannies in our church, this church, that needs so much help and construction and, and prayer and, and pleading. And I realize that I don't have all the spiritual gifts to do it. I don't have all the time to do it. If it's going to be done, it's going to take the work in the hands of all of us all of us serving together. And it's a known fact that if Nehemiah had tried to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem all by himself, it would not have gotten done. And so every single phase of the task in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day 
And every single phase of Buford Road Baptist Church right now and our day, it's going to take and require the help of all of us. Even in the travel aspects, because you see, Nehemiah was in captivity. He wasn't living in Galilee. He wasn't living in Nazareth. He was in captivity. There was a great distance between where he was and where Jerusalem was. But even in the aspects of travel arrangements, the king, when he began to talk to Nehemiah, Nehemiah had made his plea so extravagant and so compassionately to the king. And the king says, how can I help you do this? Remember now, he was a servant and he was a slave. He, he was in captivity. He was the cupbearer of the king. He had a good voice with the king. He had a good relationship with the king. And so Nehemiah is over here in captivity. Jerusalem is way over here, lying in rebels. And the king became so burdened just by hearing Nehemiah's compassion for Jerusalem. The king says, how can I help you? Think about this. Now I want you to see this in verse 7 through 9, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 7 through 9. Moreover, I said unto the king, Nehemiah's talking. Now the king is saying, what can I do? If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto as for the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Think about this. The king got so encouraged and excited about what Nehemiah wanted to do. The king said, just tell me what it is. What is, do you need? Nehemiah said, listen, I've got to travel a great distance I might, might be going through some hostile territories. And what I'd like for you to do, sir, is I'd like for you to pave the way for me. I'd like for you to write the letters to the people that might intercept me along the way. I want you to send letters to those who have the tools, who have the things, the trees, the timbers that I need. I just want you to give me a green light that when I leave here, that my travels will be well. And the king said this, I'm not only going to write the letters that give you a green light, to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. He said, but I'm going to send captains of my army and I'm going to give you horsemen. I'm going to give you a royal escort to do it. Nehemiah was so excited about the burden in his heart that he got the king excited. And Nehemiah begins to tell him how he could help and how the king could help him get started. And so the king gets excited about this, that he gave Nehemiah everything that he needed. Everything was going perfect until the devil's servants showed up. Now, this is where it becomes practical. So don't lose us here. Because as the devil's servants showed up in the pathway of Nehemiah, I assure you, the devil probably has some here. You say, well, preacher, that's, 
That sounds too much like preaching. Well, that's where we are, amen? We're here to hear the word. Many of you know by now that no matter what we do, and again, I, I'm, I'm funneling this thing down to Buford Road Baptist Church, this local New Testament church. The devil has never, I'll be pastor of this church 35 years in July. Seven before that, almost 42 years here. And listen, I can tell you that I have never, in all of these 42 years, I have never seen the devil just sit back and be a spectator and watch the blessings of God move forward upon this church without disruption. I've never seen that. That leads me to conclude that no matter what we do for God, the devil is our adversary. The word says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Anytime I stand in this pulpit and challenge you to do something according to the word of God, I promise you that I'm going to be challenged spiritually. I'm in a warfare just like you are. I have to keep my spiritual armor on every day just like you do. Sometimes before I get from this pulpit down to the back door. The devil fights in some kind of way. I assure you, this is not an exception. He's never going to just sit back and watch the blessings of God fall upon us. And so the devil, what he did in Nehemiah's day, he sent two guys to cause as much disruption to this project that he possibly could. In fact, look at verse 10, chapter two, verse 10. When Sanballat, this was a, this was a wicked man, the Hornite and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, heard about it. When they heard that Nehemiah had a green light from the king and that the king was giving him a royal escort back to Jerusalem to start doing the work, these two guys, for some reason, it just crawled all over them. They couldn't stand the joy. They couldn't stand the excitement. And they were bent on disrupting this project. The word says it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And so these two guys, they got together and they were able, this is how the devil works, they were able to persuade a nucleus. They were able to persuade a, a few people to join their army of chaos, disruption. We'll talk about a third guy in just a minute. And so it should not be a surprise to any of us that the devil will do this. I mean, any way he can cause chaos and adversity and division and confusion, that's what he's all about. And that's what he will do. He will do whatever he can to cause us as a local New Testament church to take our eyes off of Jesus. And I promise you, he will leave no stone unturned. This is what I, I know, and you may know this already too. The devil will do everything he can to try to disrupt your personal life. Some of you this morning came to church with heavy burdens. And, and you'll go home with some of them. I like that song, take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. But sometimes that's just not an easy task. And so I do realize that there are adversities that... Many of you come to church with, 
I pray to God that you're able to set them off at the front door when you come in here. Sit in these pews, wave your hands to Jesus, and for a few moments, let the Holy Spirit give you peace, sweet peace, wonderful peace that comes from the Father above. But I know that when you get home or when you get in your car, that there's going to be something that disrupts what you receive and what you enjoy and what you feel in this church house. Maybe before you get home, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow morning, but the devil always knows how to do that. He knows how to disrupt your personal life. And I will tell you this, he also knows, and he's very clever and he's a master at this, he knows how to disrupt our church life. And let me say this, there are already too many obstacles in the church work without him, without him doing what he does. One of the most challenging things, and listen, like I said, this is as real as it gets. This is, this is a series that's designed, I believe, that God can use to help us and shape us and mold us and encourage us and move us forward and to strengthen the work that he's put on this hill for all of these past many years. One of the most challenging areas that we have right now as a church is the shortage of workers. The shortage of workers. I mean, just in normal operational aspects, for example, let me ask you a question. I want you to think with me because this happens frequently. What, what do Gail and I do now? Think about it. When people call us on Sunday morning, we live 30 minutes from here, and, and they call us, we're on our way to church, and they say, oh, I can't be there today. We're in a car. And there's no backup. But they've called and given her the message, I can't be there today, whatever. I can't be there today. And we're in the car on the way to church. There's no backup. What do we do? What happens at that moment? We're coming to church. I'm, I've got my mind on the sermon. We've got our mind on all the aspects of it. And we got somebody saying at 8 o'clock, 8.30, I can't be there today. And I realize people get sick, things happen, things go haywire time. But what do we do? That's, that's the finality of what do we do? Especially if they're working in children's ministries, what do we do without a backup? And so one of the things that we need to come together with as a church, we need to develop backup workers because it's very difficult for me or Gail on the phone Sunday morning, eight o'clock, eight 30 to figure this thing out. Are you with me? You understand what I'm talking about? There are times, listen now, there are times when you, you set that, that element aside. There are times when we have unanticipated sometimes issues with our media. Not these guys' fault. Sometimes things just go haywire. And they, they do the best they can. They do all they can. They're working themselves to death trying to get a clear picture and get the sound right. And sometimes it just doesn't all work out like that. Uh, that is supposed to. They're doing a fabulous job, and I thank God for them. What about the times when musicians can't be here and we have to juggle things around? Or think about this. We're getting ready to have church. We're getting ready to have a service, and we're trying to figure out a backup worker here, and we're trying to figure out a musician here, and we got a commode running over in the bathroom. Think about that. These kind of things happen all the time. But when you set all of that aside, then there are spiritual disruptions. Don't ever think for one minute that the devil looks forward to worship with us every Sunday. I promise you he's not going to do that. I mean, he didn't come in here with bells on to lift his hands to Jesus. 
He might have come in here with bells on, but he didn't come in here to lift up holy hands. I guarantee you that. When we are overwhelmed with worker shortages and with the demons of hell working at the same time, you know who that's going to affect the most? Is me. When I leave that chair and stand in this pulpit, let me tell you something. I have to, I have to beg the Holy Spirit, and I try to do this every Sunday morning when the special song is being sung, I try to bow my head and I say, God in heaven, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me unction, give me liberty, give me anointing. And I say, oh God, keep my heart fixed. Keep my eyes straight. Speak to me and through me because I realize that while I'm making these steps from this chair to this pulpit, I realize that everything that I just mentioned to you is going on. We don't have enough workers People are hurting in different areas. I need help. I need help. Commodes are running over and all this stuff is going on around me. And I realize that while I'm walking up here, all this stuff is swirling around me. And I will tell you, when the devil disrupts us, he will try to affect me first. Because he knows that the word will not return void. And listen, and if the devil can shake things up, all around us, and if he can get me distracted from my chair to the pulpit, it's going to not only affect our spirit, our workers, it's not only going to affect me while I'm trying to preach, but it will ultimately affect the moving and the working of the Holy Spirit. It will grieve the Spirit. So you think about this. All of that, these dominoes fall in a certain way when it affects the external mechanisms of the church and then it begins to affect the internal and then it affects me and then it affects the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, it will affect everybody sitting in these pews. When the devil begins to work, listen, he's not a silent worker. His job is to create an avalanche of trouble. Now, Nehemiah had three workers that were trying to disrupt what he was doing. Look in verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the servant, the Amorite, and Geshem, look at this. This third fellow showed up. The Arabian heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will ye rebel against the king? Now, these rumors, they were, they were rumors. That's not what Nehemiah was. He wasn't rebelling against the king. He had the king's permission. But these guys were starting all kinds of rumors about him. And Nehemiah knew what needed to be done. He knew that he needed everyone working together to make it happen. And these three guys were bent on creating chaos. And so the first thing Nehemiah did, this is what he did. And this is what I've done at the beginning of this sermon series. Nehemiah had to first prepare his own heart. In verse 11, the Bible says this, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I arose in the night, and I and some few men with me neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and look at this, look at these words, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah is doing this secretly. He's doing this privately, sort of like Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night in a private way. 
Here Nehemiah is looking at the damage of Jerusalem in a private way, which were broken down and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then when I, or when I up in the night by the brook, and notice this, he did the observation again. He viewed the wall and turned back and entered the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did, neither had I yet I told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. And so once Nehemiah knew the severity of the problem, he had scouted it out by night by himself. He began to meditate. And when he saw firsthand, he had heard that Jerusalem was in rubbles. But the scripture says he went out and he saw it himself. And when he got this thing straight in his own heart, he realized that it was far worse than what he thought and he knew that it was going to be far more complicated than what he could ever imagine. And one of the biggest problems was the people that got, listen to this, because this is where we are. Once Nehemiah saw the severity of the problem, he realized that the people there, while these walls were torn down, the embers were still burning and Jerusalem was in rubble, he realized that the people had got so used to living in rubble that it did not phase them at all of the condition that they were living in. It didn't move them. They didn't think twice about it. Now, in our case, as this local New Testament church, listen carefully, people can get so used to just a handful of people doing everything that it doesn't bring a burden anymore, that it's not concerning anymore. And our worker shortage, let me say this, our worker shortage did not begin with COVID. Our worker shortage existed way before COVID, by the way. Thank God that's, that's almost a byword now. You know, you can get COVID, I'm sure, somewhere, but you can get the flu, you can get pneumonia, you can get strep throat, you can get that stuff somewhere. Don't be intimidated by COVID. That's probably going to be with us till Jesus comes, to be honest with you. But now people are using COVID for all kinds of excuses still today. Listen carefully. Nehemiah, this blew my mind. When Nehemiah had permission of the king and he got to work and he got a group of people excited and involved, listen carefully. Nehemiah accomplished in 52 days what people could not do in 90 years. You read the story, there it is. 52 days what people couldn't do in 90 years. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, the Bible says this, so the wall was finished in the 25th day of the month of Elu in 50 and 2 days. 52 days, those people couldn't do it in 90 years. And so the month of Elu was September. You think about that. Now, the work Nehemiah was burdened, he starts, so let me ask you this now, this series, Serving Together. How do we come together to serve together? Number one, and I'll be quick with this. We all have to realize that it's not just about me, me, but it's about us. In verse 17, 
Then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth in waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, Nehemiah said this, don't watch me work. He, that's not what he said. He didn't say, listen, I want all y'all to bring a picnic lunch, sit down by the tree over there and I, I will show you how to build this. That's not what he said. He said, come now. Just like Isaiah the prophet said, let us reason together. He said, come now, let us build. Let's all get to busy. Let's all work and build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. So this thing about serving, it's about all of us. It's not my problem, but it's our problem. Number two, you have to see what I see. If we don't all see what I see, this will never get done. The first part of chapter 2, verse 17, then I said unto them, you see the distress that we're in. So I'm bringing these sermons to you in a distressful manner to help us to realize that there is a huge work to be done. He said, you see the distress that we're in. And again, the people that got so used to living in that condition that it didn't bother them anymore. They were not moved. They were not compelled anymore. And I will tell you this, that if we get used to it, if we just say, that's not my problem, I'm too old, I'm too young. Listen, we will continue to ignore it. And so think about how much better it would be, how much stronger our ministry would be if we could all see, not just me, but if we could all see what needs to be done. Things will never begin to get better until we get discontented with the rubble. Number three, you have to open your heart to the appeal. Most of the decisions that we make in our life they first are made in the premise of our heart. I want you to look at the third part of chapter 2, verse 17. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem. Look at this, that we be no more a reproach. The object of this thing, because we have children's ministries, we have people right now in children's church that are rotating and we need another team out there. We have workers in children's church and junior church, and we have Sunday school and all of these things that we have, and to God be the glory. We have Awanas, and we have youth group, and we have, uh, listen, we, we've got some great ministries. But as our church continues to grow, and which I hope we're all praying that it continues to grow, as it grows and more people come in, Think about how difficult it is for Gail or me or whoever to go to somebody that's already doing five things and say this, and by the way, I need you to do this and that. If we keep doing that, those that handful of people that does five or six things, they're easily going to get burned out. We cannot keep piling stuff up in the laps of a handful of people. Number four. A life lesson that I've learned, and I, I pray that I can pass this down to you. You say, preacher, man, this is some strong stuff. It is. It's some strong. But it's not just strong stuff. It's real stuff. It's serious stuff. Number four, a life lesson that I've learned. I won't pass it down to you. Verse 18, then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. As also the king's words that he had spoken unto me, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. And so in my own personal life, I've seen the hand of God do some incredible things for me personally. From the time God called me to preach, 
1978, I realized he instantly began to equip me. He empowered me. He protect me. He's taught me. He's led me. He's guided me. And if God can do that with me, he can do it with you. Imagine what could happen if we would serve him together, if we would all get this thing. Listen, yeah, I see those people out there. They, they need help. They're, they're about to pull their hair out every Sunday morning when I go over. When I go five minutes over, that's five more minutes. They got to tell somebody to get yourself down and sit still until your mother gets over here and I'm going to jerk a knot in you. They, they got to go through all that stuff every minute I'm over. They need help. Number five, simply ask, will you respond to the plea? I wonder how many would join me in this rekindling of our spirit here in this local New Testament church. James 4, 2 says this, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, you fight and war. Look at this. And, and this, is, this is my question because the Lord has placed it upon my heart. You have not because you ask not. Preacher, ask, just ask. Now, I've, I'm willing. I've got the Spirit of God. I've got the Holy Spirit here, and I'm going to clear the way. But preacher, you have not because you ask not. Now stand in that pulpit and preach and ask. And so in this series, I'm asking. And if I did everything myself or just depended on a few, then I would be limiting God to what he could do for this church. The scripture I give you with this is Psalm 78. Look with me quickly. They'll get it on the screen here. Psalm 78, verse 9 through 11. I'll give you a couple of more here in just a minute real quickly. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forget not his works and his wonders that he showed them. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I wonder how much are we limiting God for our church? And lastly, and I ask our musicians to come forward. I, I'm depending on God's help to move upon us all. Now, listen, I, I know there's circumstances in all of our lives. There are limitations in all of our I, I get that as the day is long. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, but when Sanballat the Horonite and the Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed and scorned us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? That was the furthest thing from their heart. Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us, Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right nor memorial in Jerusalem. So this thing about serving together, you see it everywhere. We're talking about it. I can only depend on God to inspire you because I'm not your inspiration. God, the Holy Spirit is. I can only preach the word, and I pray that the Spirit of God would inspire you to get the vision. Now, let me tell you. I will never give up because we do not have all the help we need. I can promise you that. I will not quit. I will not give up.
because we don't have all the help we need. But I'm going to trust God to give us the help we need. And I pray that in this mid- on, when we finish this series, we pass these cards out at the beginning of the series, and I ask you to pray about what God would have you to do. At the end of the series, whether it's Sermon 6 or 7, I want to take those cards up. Right now, I've already had at least five people to come to me and say, or come to the office, called us and let us know. Some way communicated with God speaking to me here. I think God may be using me here. I, I'm praying about this, which is great. That's wonderful. That's what this is all about. Because here's the deal. At the end of this series, if just one person, just one, said, Preacher, God spoke to me in that series. And, and I want to be the one that puts those blue envelopes in the pew. I want to be the one that fills the sanitizer in the hallways. I want to be the one that stands in the lobby and greets people. I want to be the one that sits in the pew. And when you call for first-time visitors and we have some people raise their hand, I want to be the one that turns and look where they are. And I want to be the one that greets them before they get out of the church house. I want to be the one that does this. I want to be the one. Listen, if just one person, one person, surrenders in this series. That's one less thing I've got to give a person already doing five. Can the church say amen? I'm going to trust God to give us the help we need. Serving together. Preacher, man, this stuff, this deep stuff, I know you need your boots on when you come to the sermon series. But I'm going to pray at the end of the day. Because we know, we know who won. You can read the back of the book. You know who wins. But between now and that place where we see the Lord in the air, there's much work for us to do. And I will say this. You you say, well, preacher, how old you got to be? Well, you just, you come to me. Listen, a little child can do something. You come to me and say, the Lord's pressed upon my heart. Well, is there an age limit? I'm too old. I've got arthritis and I've got uh, migraines and I, all this. I got all this stuff. I've got errands to run. I got this dog, got this wife, got this problem. I promise you this. We'll help you narrow that down. We, we'll work with you. I promise you. We won't turn you away. Some more of our young people can get in that choir, Brother David. Some more people can help these children's church workers and back up Sunday school teaching and work in Awanas, work in our help in work in our youth group and learn how to take this offering up and be nice to people in the lobby and it it just goes on and on and on. But the bottom line is this it takes us all. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.